Good morning and welcome to episode 529 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland.com, joined as always by Sam Miller of BaseballProspectus.com. Hello. Hello. How are you? Don't forget, Ben. There's a cup of tea next to you. Don't forget to drink it. (laughs) That's true. Remember to drink your tea, Ben. (laughs) I've already started sipping on this one. I've pre-sipped this tea. Anything you'd like to discuss? Just your tea. Mm, Okay. So I have an update or some answers on something we talked about on this week's listener email show. We were speculating about how many players per year get a September call-up and then never go on to do anything else again. They never they never are on an active roster before active rosters expand. So they're they're only only good enough to crack a 40 man, but not quite good enough to make a 25 man. And Andrew Koo of Baseball Prospectus did some research for me on this for a, an article about September call-ups that I was writing. And so I do have some answers. So from 2000 to 2010, there were an average of 51 players per season making their major league debuts in September. On average, 34 of those players failed to accumulate more than one career warp, or at least have thus far. Some of them are obviously still still active, maybe can add to those totals. But thus far, 34 of the 51 on average uh, don't really go on to to be good, but most of them at least get something. They they pop up in the majors at some point in a subsequent season. So an average of between five and six, I think it was it was six players per season. When I looked at a longer time span from 2000 to 2010, it was like five and a half or something per season. Make their major league debuts in September and then never go on to play in a non-September regular season game. So in 2010, it was Brian Esposito, John Lindsay, Justin James, Lucas May, Matt Fox, and Brett Sickbile. Interesting. <laughs> Mildly. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I um, can't remember if you said this. Did those, did those people simply get rostered, or did they all appear in a game? They all appeared in a game. Yeah, so if, if a guy was on a roster and never did anything, then he probably wouldn't have showed up here. Fun. Yeah. That sounds like a, uh, well, I was going to say that sounds like you could do something with that list, but <laughs> I really don't think you could. I could if I wanted to get a very small audience. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I can do that. I... Speaking of having a small audience, I'd like to revisit the uh, Diamondbacks headlines just real quickly. <laughs> okay. Um, for the most part, they've been fairly straight ahead lately. They are, uh, in fact, uh, in some days they haven't even had top submissions. They've only had the winner, um, which suggests to me that, that the D-backs uh, headline contest people are saying simply that they are not going to be having this nonsense. <laughs> they are only going to tell you the best one. Um, but there was one day that was probably the best day in Diamondbacks headline history. Um, I would say uh, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten top submissions listed. So this was um, on August 29th, 
This was a game that the Diamondbacks were losing, going to the uh, bottom of the eighth inning, and then in a uh, very dramatic swing of events, uh, Jake Lamb hit a grand slam home run to put them ahead 5-2, to two, the score by which they would win. Um, and so these are the headlines. Uh, Lamb Slam lifts D-backs out of jam. That's the winner. <laughs> uh-huh. Pretty good job, Rod, of thinking of Lamb Slam. I'm sure uh-huh. you're the only one. Uh, next one, Lamb Slam gives D-backs win. <laughs> so here we've got the same headline, except that Rod managed to get a third rhyme in at the end, which in this case I actually support. I think that it turns a lazy rhyme into a little bit of a rhythm, Lamb Slam lifts D-backs out of jam. Uh, so that's better than Lamb Slam gives D-backs win. Mm-hmm. Uh, D-backs win on a grand hyphen lamb. <laughs> <laughs> Much worse. Lowercase s, capital L. <laughs> Steve could not figure out how to stylize grand slam. <laughs> and I would say probably came up with the worst possible one. Uh, but Joe had the same thought. Grand hyphen lamb beats Rockies. It's interesting because Joe uh, ranks below Steve, and I think it this is a pretty good lesson, Joe. Steve realized that this is a Diamondbacks newspaper, and so it helps to get the home team. It, you want to have an active verb, not a passive verb, basically. So uh, Steve outranks Joe with D-backs win on Grand Slam instead of Grand Slam beats Rockies. Keep the focus on the team. Uh, Lamb, slaves, Lamb saves Gibson's game? Well, there's mm-hmm. nothing. that that There's no... Grand slam pun there. Nope. Uh, lamb ends silence. Rocks Rockies show <laughs> with clutch four bagger. <laughs> wow, I liked it at, at first. Lamb ends silence. Yeah. Rocks Rockies show with clutch four bagger. Uh, probably didn't need the last. Right. Pause. Just gotta uh, know when to when to trim. All right, now we're down to number eight. Lamb slam. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it that's it <laughs> that's only 8 out of 10 number 9 Grand Lamb finally number 10 Whammo a slammo for Lambo <laughs> which the problem with that is that Lambo his name is Lamb, but Lambo, when you put an O at the end of it, becomes a word. You know, that's like a that is a name. That is a, a name that people have read. And so you can't pronounce it Lamo. It becomes Lambo. Mm. Whammo, <laughs> a slamo for Lambo. Uh, with and this is my favorite part of that one. In between each phrase is um, ellipses, but only two. <laughs> Lori going with the two-dot ellipses for space. <laughs> a key part of headline writing is to cut characters wherever you can. Yeah, or maybe it's a suggestion of how you're supposed to read it. You're, he doesn't want you to pause for that long. You, you paused for, you definitely paused for three dots when you read it. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's a good day. I'm glad you updated us. So let's go on. Okay, so we're going to talk about a couple articles that I read today, and they were thematically related, and I I make connections. That's what I do. So I connected these two articles into a podcast topic. Before I do that, it's it's about basically whether 
sports leagues are acting in long-term counterproductive ways uh, in order to help their bottom lines in the short term. And so one of these articles touches on the pace of game. And I wanted to just ask you, because there have been a couple of articles at BP in the last week or so. Rob Arthur wrote one this week and Zachary Levine wrote one last week about, well, Zachary's was about how long the ideal game should be, which is not something that we talk about often. It's just sort of generally assumed that that faster, either faster is better or or it just doesn't matter at all. That That seems to be the two main camps that there's the people who like baseball and they like it however long it is, maybe longer the better. And there are the people, including Rob Arthur, who like the action but not the in-between time. So Rob's position, I think, essentially is that he wants baseball games to be as close as possible to condensed games that you see on, on MLB.com, more or less. He just he wants to cut out the dead space. He is a busy man. He has bat cracks to analyze. He just wants to see the action. He doesn't want to see the, the people standing around adjusting their batting gloves. So he wants games to be as quick as possible. Zachary is not convinced of that. He wants to know how, how long the ideal game should be because, as he points out, there are times when you might want a two-hour game. There are also times, he mentions, like a, a afternoon when you've got nothing to do between lunch and dinner, and maybe you want a four-hour game so that it'll eat up all of that time. Although I guess you could always watch another game but do you have a an same ideal game, game twice same yeah. game twice that's an option too do you have an ideal game length if we i don't know if we just hold pace constant somehow you can't really do that but uh. yeah i well i i'm gonna ignore the last thing you said <laughs> okay that, that i i don't necessarily i don't know that my tastes are calibrated quite the same way that rob's are uh however i think that his point uh, is very true, uh, and my position on baseball is that um, pace is an issue, time is not an issue at all. Uh, mm. There, to me, there are if if baseball games were forty two hours, but they were forty two hours of excitement, and you could just sort of drop in and out of them whenever you wanted. I I would be fine with that. I I don't I don't know the last time I watched a game from start to finish, and mm. so I have a very different perspective on this than I used to uh, when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, I also liked long games. I didn't want the game to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was generally bored with life, and <laughs> baseball was the thing that I looked forward to. Yes. And baseball was the end of my day oftentimes, mm-hmm. and it did not bother me at all when games would go long. I've never been one to 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 want to see extra innings end, for instance. So, um, so I think that uh, that noting that thing that you told me not to note that pace is, is important mm-hmm. uh, to me time is uh, it's a hard thing to even think about uh, what a what an ideal time is I guess I guess at this point in my I really truly don't care Ben at this point in my life uh-huh. I would I guess I would say I guess I would say three hours three hours is even when I was even back in the old days when games didn't last three hours I thought of them as lasting three hours. And so probably three hours is what I mentally block out in my mm-hmm. day. Um, and beyond that, I guess I start thinking that this is eating into another thing I might have had planned. When I was a kid, um, I 
would have probably said five and a half hours. I mean, I listened to, I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh in the mornings because that was what was on before the pregame show on KNBR. Rush Limbaugh was like a local Sacramento <laughs> political, you know, pundit guy. Mm. And he was on KNBR before the postgame. And I just wanted the postgame to start so bad that I would go out to the front yard and I'd throw the ball and listen to Rush Limbaugh until the pregame show started. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, I would listen all the way to the end of the postgame show. And then I'd listen to the talk radio on the same station until, um, you know, until the end of the day. So it's probably uh, how he got to where he is today. Just Giants fans who really wanted to listen to the pregame show pumping so, up his ratings. I Probably not. I think that it's probably somewhat his style uh, yeah. is... I probably so. uh, appealing to a lot of people in various parts of the country and he's yes. you know he's got a certain charisma to him even if you dislike his his was, politics and his was, intellectual dishonesty not a no it's not a serious probably suggestion. there's a marketing a, mar- a marketing arm probably is uh <laughs> been instrumental as well um so uh so those are basically uh, I, I those are two parts of my life two phases of my life the one where i wanted more and the one now where I, uh, it doesn't really matter to me because of the way that I consume the game. So now I have to think about in the in-between time. So like from maybe 16 to 27, uh, I guess I still didn't care that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and even it, even the pace thing, it's, it's relatively new that I care about even pace. Um, I don't remember caring that much about it before I started writing about it. No. Yeah. Uh, I, but pace, clearly pace. I mean, baseball is, is uh, I, I, do, I, I do find that when I'm watching a game right now, um, like last night this happened. I had this thought actually go on in my head. Uh, I forget who was batting. Oh, it was Ian Desmond who was batting. There was a runner on base, and Desmond gets – you know, in his set position in the batter's box and the pitcher's looking at the runner and I'm just like seconds past and I'm thinking, oh no, oh no, he's going to call timeout. Devin's going to call timeout. (laughs) And I just can't take that anymore. I can't take the 14 and a half seconds of the pitcher watching the runner and then we reset. I can't take the reset. It's the reset. I could probably take even more than 14 seconds if there was no reset. If it were 22 seconds, I could probably take it. I can't stand the reset, though. Mm-hmm. Well, why is it that, because this never used to bother me either, and I, I think it has gotten worse. I don't think we're imagining it. The pace is slower, so maybe it's just crossed whatever boundary it had to cross for us to start caring about this. But it also seems like it's sort of a, we're all just getting swept up in this pace of game debate it's just the hot topic i've written about it everyone's written about it and suddenly it's the the consensus number one problem with baseball it seems like and i wonder whether that is now in some sort of feedback loop influencing our perceptions of the game where now that we watch now that everyone's talking about this we're even more conscious of it than we were before and it bothers us more than it would otherwise yeah it might it it might also be that simply that we've gotten it's the only part of your life now that you can't fast forward basically it's the only part of your life that you can't time shift and it's so if you if you just have lost the ability to sit still for three hours for any other fact you know fast of your life or to i guess more than sit still for three hours to sit still for three hours and not not kind of manage that thing that you're watching if you're not fast forwarding if you're not changing uh channels 
then maybe it just becomes something that we're, our muscles aren't really um, able to handle anymore. Or, on the other hand, you might argue that it's the exact opposite, that in fact there is a two-screen way that we mm-hmm. watch baseball these days, um, where almost, you know, it seems like most of us watch while also uh, interacting with another screen, uh, either... Three uh, screens, often. Goodness, well, <laughs> it's too many screens. Yeah. I, I don't have three screens, so I'm going to just keep going from the two-screen <laughs> perspective. Okay. Uh, so maybe it's that we, uh, in the two-screen setup, maybe we're more easily distracted, we're not as focused, and therefore, uh, it, in fact, by, by being less into the game, less uh, mentally focused on the game, we actually find the nuance. The, it used to be that, you know, you would talk about how that the great thing about baseball is that there's this game within the game, and you stare at it, and you see the pitcher looking at the runners, and you see mm-hmm. the catcher shaking off the signs and all this. If you're not paying attention to those details, then all that stuff gets lost on you, and you you boil the game down to a series of MLB um, uh, game day updates, which are the you know the actions themselves instead of all the things in between. And so if you're waiting, if your if your wait for each one of those goes from 30 seconds up to 45 seconds, and you're not getting any of the extra nuance in between. Uh, then you're probably more frustrated waiting for it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Those two things seem to be contradictory hypotheses, and I'm not <laughs> sure if one is right and one is wrong, or if they're both wrong, or if they're, in some cases, both right. Mm-hmm. I am in more of the Rob Arthur camp, where I would like to see games go about as quickly as they could go and not lose any of the actual action, unless it's a particularly high-stakes game, if it's... If it's the playoffs, if it's the World Series, if it's the wild card game, if it's the wild card game, I don't care how long it lasts. It could be six hours, and I'd be okay with that. And uh, that's just because the stakes are so much higher than they are in a typical game, which I think is when people always give the example of how long a football game is and how much standing around in a football game there is. That is true, but there are only 16 football games plus preseason and playoffs, so... The stakes are are much higher for any particular game, so those those dead times don't bother you as much as they do when there's a game on every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So this sort of ties into the topic. So there are these two articles. One of them is by former podcast guest Jorge Argore, who is now a senior staff writer at Vice Sports. And the other one is at Fields of Green, which is a a USA Today-sponsored site, some sort of partnership with USA Today and the USC Business School. And it's by uh, a man named Tony Knopp. And I'll start with with Jorge's article. So Jorge's concern is that, that leagues are taking public opinion into account too much now that they are adjusting their policies based on whatever the the cause of the moment is on the internet and on Twitter and the fans and the media, however they express those opinions, that that they are being too reactionary, that they're concerned about losing sponsors or losing advertising or, or losing viewers or things that matter in the short term, but in the long term might actually be counterproductive in some way. Um, and he makes the case that we are trying to tailor our sports just the way we like them, like we do with our 
DVRs or our smartphones or whatever other gadget that we have. And he, uh, so I'll quote here, he said, uh, leagues are creating a dangerous precedent in allowing the public to dictate rules and policy. If leagues are constantly straining to change themselves just to satisfy public opinion, then what will happen to the construct of the games themselves? And worse, once leagues establish that popular opinion is enough to force significant changes, the public will feel empowered to demand any and all changes at a moment's notice. Baseball's willingness to speed up the game to appease its audience will directly directly reflect just how much it is willing to sacrifice the foundation of the sport in order to make more money. And then he says because nobody is necessarily claiming that there is something inherently wrong with the game. It's just the way that we watch that's been affected. I guess I would, I would take some issue with that. But he says sports leagues have ceased pretending to be anything pure and with their actions now admit to being money-making enterprises working in the interests of an already exclusive segment of wealthy owners. The sanctity of sports is an argument lost long ago to the profit motive. And he cites the example of uh, Ray Rice being suspended for whatever it was, two games. And then there was an outcry about the short length of that suspension and then the suspension was revised upwards, and he doesn't take issue with the fact that the suspension is longer, but just that it was done in this, or seemed to be done in this sort of knee-jerk way, responding to public opinion, and that potentially that could have some other ramifications down the line in collective bargaining, or your relation with the players, or the precedent it sets for future cases like this. So, uh, is this a problem? Is I guess, is there a case where the public would clamor for something in baseball specifically that would be in not in the league's best interest to take into account? Are, are fans clamoring for something that, that the league would be worse off in the long term if it adopted? He also mentions instant replay, which seems to me like an example of a case where the fans were ahead of the game, uh, that fans have been talking about instant replay i don't know what the percentages were of people who supported it but but fans and internet people have been ahead of bud c league historically in proposing that that replay be a bigger part of baseball so is there a bad thing about wisdom of crowds influencing or dictating league policies i mean it depends if it's people who disagree with me that are getting their way then yeah uh-huh. um it's hard to, it's, 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 it feels like, it, I don't know, it, it's, the thing about, so there's two questions here. One is, should leagues respond to their market, mm-hmm. which uh, is a question, and, and that's a question with, with a spectrum of answers. I think the answer is probably, yes, they should, but not if it's like in a sort of knee-jerk, reactionary, short-term way that doesn't consider its long-term health. And I, I don't think that there's well uh, before i answer that so that's one um and the other is do we think that currently the league is responsive to is is the hypothesis that the league is currently responding to uh its its uh consumers um uh true and i'm not sure about either of those questions i'm not sure what the correct answer is i it seems that the pace of play example is a strong contradiction to the idea that the league is reacting to what the fans are clamoring for. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been, the pace of play issue has been 
of course, around for roughly 80 years, and the pace of play gets slower and slower. And in particular, it seems like you and I have talked about how um, some of the things, some of the things that people talk about to increase the pace of play, such as the clock for the pitchers, um, it is that the players don't want the clock, therefore the umpires don't mm-hmm. uh, enforce the clock, and in that way the players control the game much more than the fans do. I mean, almost every fan in the world would like there to be less time in between pitches. Maybe literally every single fan mm-hmm. in the world would like that. And so baseball hasn't responded to that uh, in any in any way, and uh, they might tomorrow. Right, there's but, a sense that they will, but... But they haven't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it, there's not, there's not to me, there's not a sense that they have been particularly in touch uh, with the, uh, you know, with the general sentiment out there and reacting to it. Replay, it seems to me, took a long time to get to happen. And mm-hmm. it probably, uh, my, my, I, I haven't totally thought this out. So, but my, my initial hypothesis is that it made it into the game not because the clamor of fans got so loud, but a combination of technology finally catching up to the point where you could get really exact, and it wasn't simply two cameras on the first base bag, uh, but rather you know seventy cameras with um, uh, whatever that camera is called, Exmo, mm. uh, brought to you by Coors, uh, Exmo cameras, and um, and uh, and then a combination. Sorry, it got disrupted. But a combination between the technology catching up and the fact that other leagues had done it, and in every league where it's happened, the response has generally been positive. There is no league, so far as I know, there is no sport or league that has rolled back their use of technology to get calls right. So to me, that's another example of, of maybe Major League Baseball actually not responding to fans, uh, not responding to the market very proactively or very whatever very very reactively um so i could certainly be talked out of that position uh probably but given the examples that come to mind and the examples on hand it doesn't seem like that's really where mlb is is going um now whether they should uh well as you know i think that it's the players league and and unless it's a, a true disruption to the business model i think generally it's best to let the players um Opinions be the dominant one in terms of how play is, how play is uh, ma- managed, what the rules are, um, you know, what's what's legal, all those sorts of things. Um, I think that you could argue that pace of play is an example where the business reasons outweigh the players, and so I would be pro speeding up the game in certain ways. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't generally think the league should treat their fans as the number one constituency in a, in a weird way. But, but also, it's sort of co-equal constituency. Uh, and they probably should be responsive to the things that fans want. I don't know how much it matters to me whether the league is a $6 billion industry or a $6.5 billion industry. I'm pretty confident that baseball is going to exist in a prominent way for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, while it does make sense to say, oh, well, they're the, they're, the, they're the buyers, they're the ones giving you money, you should do what they say, I could see Jorge's point that um, that they aren't necessarily the ones who truly understand what's best for the sport and who truly uh, understand what's enjoyable about the sport. So mm-hmm. I could sort of buy part of that. Yeah, or it could be completely the opposite, that in a sense they are better qualified 
to tell what is best for the sport in the long term because they don't have any short-term stake in it really they don't stand to yeah. profit so it, it it's like the the federalist papers and the idea of the the disinterested legislators who are not not biased by any personal interest in anything the the owners and and the commissioners appointed by the owners are are certainly not disinterested they have a stake in baseball doing well and and making profits in the short term and not necessarily the long term because these are owners are mostly older people they don't necessarily have a lot of stake in how baseball is going to be positioned for 40 years from now they want to make their money now and it's possible that that they could be hurting baseball in the long term by doing something that would benefit them in the short term and that maybe fans could be a kind of corrective to that could be could be um could be i think uh, again, this is not a totally well thought out position that I'm about to say, but generally, I find that that what we under uh, that players are really good at seeing the unintended consequences of a rule change or a change in the sport, and fans are really bad at it. Mm-hmm. Fans being me too, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that's because there's like a sort of a there's a there's this sort of sticky glue that holds the sport together on on the field level that we don't necessarily appreciate or get to see quite as much. And so, uh, I don't know. The, yeah, the, all the cohorts are important. All of them matter. And, I mean, I, I think it obviously goes without saying that Major League Baseball as a, as a, uh, as a governing body uh, should rightly consider all perspectives, not overreact to any of them, and uh, do what's best for the sport, for the people involved in the sport, for the people who fund the sport and for the people who will watch the sport today as well as in 50 years. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to say whether, it's hard to say where, you know, what's too much and what's not enough listening to the fans. Generally speaking, though, I don't sense that there's a real mob mentality that's guiding the league right now. To me, it seems like, if anything, the, the examples cited are ones where the league uh, we're thinking of them because the league reacted to them, but the league reacted to them because they were also right, and they were sort of on their face. They were right, and they should have been, the league should have done the right thing in the first place, and the, the fans provided them the, the corrective. Um, there are probably lots of cases where fans have been complaining about things that didn't get get done. Maybe there aren't. I can't name one. Mm-hmm. Well, than the ones I did name. <laughs> uh, okay, and then related the, the other article on... Uh... Well, okay, so how about the Hall of Fame, right? The league mm-hmm. is not doing anything to fix the Hall of Fame voting, really. Uh-huh, that's uh, true. The, the, and that's one where there's a clear mob uh, trying to get them to. Uh, and other than the well, extremely I guess it's small, not technically the league that would do that, but... It's not, but it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Uh, and other than, you know, the, the sort of very small changes that were fairly small, relatively small changes that were... Uh, introduced recently, it's not like they're doing anything that's going to make Barry Bonds get into the Hall of Fame uh, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other article by Tony Knopp, but Field of Greens, is related. He makes the case that owners are not acting in the long-term best interests of sports. He's writing about football specifically, but it applies to to any sport, really. He makes the case that tickets used to be 
the market used to be inefficient, that they were underpriced, that teams could have been getting more for tickets, which seems to be the case given given what they're getting now and all the, the ways that they've managed to increase revenue by building luxury boxes and attracting corporate clients and all these things, but that in the long term, this could backfire. He makes the case that, that many fans are created because they can buy a cheap ticket and get a good seat to a game, and that in the long term, this leads to a lifelong fan who invests in the team in many ways, goes to many games, and maybe buys season tickets and and buys jerseys and all the other ways that you can spend on a sports team, and that by privileging these corporate clients in the short term, teams are making more money because they can charge a lot for those luxury boxes, but in the long term that they are maybe threatening their fan bases. And it's I guess it's the... It's the same sort of argument, like right now the, the sport appears extremely healthy if you look at it in financial terms, if you look at it attendance-wise or revenue-wise, it looks like it's been in better shape than it ever has been, and if you look at the size of the television contracts, it looks great, but you have these constant doom and gloom articles about baseball's place on the national stage or the national conversation or these sort of nebulous uh, measures of cultural impact, and that we often discount those because we can cite the revenue figures and the TV contracts, but that maybe in the long term, those TV contracts will go away or they'll go to some other sport that is more part of the national consciousness. And so there's this sense that it, it could be that there is some inherent weakness uh, that is kind of being masked right now by the financial well-being, but could ultimately prove harmful. So do you buy the argument that teams are doing anything currently that is not in their long-term interest, but is in their short-term financial interests? Um, I don't know. I guess you maybe. So I don't know. It's hard to say. You could maybe make a case that having every game on television is itself bad for baseball in the long term because uh, it creates this enormous uh, kind of uh, oversaturation of baseball games mm-hmm. that that the sport hey, wasn't that be... Mark Cuban's suggestion that there should be or his his suggestion was that the NFL should not start televising games or, or scheduling games for days other than Sunday because that would saturate the market and make games less special yeah i mean i want i would like there to be more baseball games and more of them on tv but yes i could i could see it being the case it wouldn't shock me if somebody put together a report uh that argued that in fact uh that the reason that nobody cares about baseball is because uh there are too many games to to care about and that they're all available to you all the time and therefore there's nothing remotely like an event left in the sport um, and that uh, while like you might have like a hundred units of uh, attention to give to a sport, and if they're diluted to the point that uh, they all become unrecognizably small uh, distributions of attention, uh, that you might feel like it's a sport with no impact, a uh, sport that has no uh, kind of uh, I forget the word I'm looking for, but so I'll, I'll say impact again. Forget I said impact the first time. <laughs> that has no impact. Uh, so maybe that's one. I, I'm not sure. I'd have to keep thinking. It's a good email question. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll email you. All 
All right. So that is enough free-ranging discussion for today. I will, by the way, link to both of these articles at the podcast post at BP and also in the Facebook group. So you can go follow along. And we welcome your listener email questions at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We encourage you to support our sponsor, Baseball Reference, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. And please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. And that is it for this week. So have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back on Monday.